Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome back to the Wizard and the Bruiser. Unless it's your first time listening, but why would you start here? Part three of Superman? That's what a crazy person would do. It's what the RSS feed says, man. I live my life one episode at a time. My podcast client says, listen to this, and I say, okay, sir. I'm your close to death bruiser, Holden McNeely. And I'm your half cyborg, half black guy, half teenager, and half... Sunglasses? That's a lot of hats. Eradicator? What is Remember he? Eradicator? We'll talk about he it, I like guess. He was like a robot-ish. I it's was very... there, but there's already a Terminator Superman in the Superman There were reborn. two Terminators, weren't there? Why? What happened <laughs> in my childhood? So anyways, we are here for part three of Superman. Uh, this is the modern age, the postmodern age, the shitty movies that recently came out. This is everything. Well, they're not shitty. I don't want to say they're shitty, but some people might love them. And they're not, you know, I don't know. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll get into it. But we're here to talk about pretty much the Superman I knew as a child mm-hmm. into adulthood. So uh, one part that I was definitely, uh, one factor at least that made me excited about doing this episode was this is the Superman I remember, which is essentially Superman dying and coming back and dying and then coming back and then dying and then coming back over and over and over again ad nauseum because they essentially just like stopped being able to figure out what to do with the character other than like bring him back in a different way, changing tiny little details and like being like, no, now he's like more Silver Age. No, now he's like oh yeah, yeah. more uh, Golden Age kind of, but, uh, but maybe some Bronze Age version of him. And it's the entirety of, yeah, Superman at this era is people like being like, okay, everyone is bored with the character, but what if I told you we slightly shifted his power levels? <laughs> You know, it's interesting, though, I will say. Somebody mentioned on Twitter uh, to me about how, you know, he felt like maybe we overlooked an element of Superman that was essentially these two Jewish immigrants coming to the country um, and essentially creating their own Jesus in, like, a modern-day setting. A secular savior is, I believe, his term. Yes, and uh, I thought that was quite an interesting concept. And then to go into the research and just constantly see this, this guy dying and coming back and, you know, in all these different ways. And it's like, it really is like just rehashing 
a Jesus story up to the point where he literally becomes an allegory for Jesus in the Zack Snyder film. So it's like it just it actually comes back around on itself uh, a full circle. It's it's really something to behold. But I think it all starts really from where we left off. We we left off with Crisis on Infinite Earths, which pretty much just like just wipe the slate clean. A lot happens in Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was a pivotal moment in superhero storytelling. We can't go into the details. We I mean, literally we, would we be covered here. some of it, didn't we? We're not going to get into Psycho Pirate, and we're not going to get into uh, Alexander Luther. We're not, like, we can't, but needless to say, uh, it created a hard reboot for DC Comics. Uh, this is the same reboot that led to the uh, George Perez Wonder Woman <laughs> weird-ass story uh, that we talked about in our Wonder Woman episode. One yes. of my favorites. Go, go back and listen to that one. Um, and uh, it gave John Byrne who was uh, this superstar artist. Uh, we covered, we talked about how revolutionary his artwork was uh, during the Dark Phoenix saga. Uh, and he got the reins of Superman with his Man of Steel miniseries. And he created a new status quo that kind of erased a lot of the Silver Age and kind of tried to bring it back to the, uh, the, the I guess, Golden Age original thing. There's always the battle to try to figure out is he the, just completely unstoppable, the ultimate superhero, the just no one can touch him, he's un, undefeatable, or, and then it's always tweaking that knob, no wait, no, he is more beatable, he's more like a, a, a everyday man though, and, and he does have flaws, and he does have weaknesses, and it's always like trying to figure out that tweak, and you know, is it, is it, un, is it you know, and I remember growing up being like, when I was a kid, there were other superheroes way more interesting to me, I mean, I was into the Dark Brood, I was into Punisher, Ghost Rider, Spawn, Wolverine, dark, hi, Wolverine, highly flawed, brooding, you know, character like the opposite of Superman. Snickety snick, I'm cutting up your dick. And I would, I'm Wolverine. <laughs> when did he say that, Jake? Hey, bub, I'm a Canadian military <laughs> experiment. Gonna cut, cut when up does he cut up? Jake, I challenge you to tell me when he cuts a man's penis off any of the X-Men comics, any of the Wolverine comic books, his own series. I'm gonna fight you, Omega Red, but first, let me get that, a junkie junk. <laughs> what is this? This is not... Bub. Are, <laughs> okay, I'm the best bub, I am at he, what I do. He does and what say I bub. Do, is slice it to pee pee. I'm Cyclops, and I'd like to date your daughter, please. Fuck you. I'm a date storm and then take your girl. Oh, thank you for doing that. I'm Pussy Cyclops. Anyways, we don't have to get into that. The point is, John Byrne was very influential. And John Byrne, all speaking of Marvel, though, this, you know, so Marv Wolfman, he's the editor leading the charge at this point. And his big charge is he wants to make changes. He wants to do a big reboot. He's talking to a couple different art, uh, writers, such as Frank Miller and Steve Gerber, among others. And he's trying to go about it. They're all trying to go about it different ways. And he, he hears that John Byrne, who is best known uh, for his work over at Marvel, uh, with Fantastic Four, with X-Men, Dark Phoenix Saga, all that good stuff. He just gets word he left Marvel. He was probably literally crossing the street trying to run away from <laughs> that street that both companies are on. And Wolfman probably jumped out of the window and landed on him and dragged him into D.C., John, he says, you know, we need you to do something with Superman. We need you to reboot him. So John Byrne uh, ends up making a proposal and winning the day, winning the winning the Superman reboot to write it as his own with a six issue series called, as you termed already, The Man of Steel, which came out in 1986. Uh, it 
erases a lot of what was kind of taken for granted about Superman's origin. He was no longer Superboy, as in the Silver Age. So yeah, he doesn't no have Legion that. He's superheroes. He's Clark no. Kent. He's on the farm, but he's not doing the Superboy stuff. He's sort of finding his powers and everything. Also, he goes back to being the sole survival of his home planet Krypton. That was another big change. No um, crypto, no Supergirl, no Super Horse. Another really big change is Lex Luthor is rebranded as a powerful businessman as opposed to a white collar and white collar criminal as opposed to a mad scientist, which is the Lex Luthor I was more familiar with growing up. Um, just a bunch of little things like that, uh, mostly dealing with you know his early years, obviously as it's an origin story. Um, they also, uh, yeah, they they uh, make sure that Mon Pa can't survive in his Superman's adulthood. That was another big one. Uh, also, his relationship with Batman changes during this time becomes a lot more on edge. They're not like best buddies like they were in the older comics now they have an uneasy weird grudging respect with each other an uneasy friendship due to their vast differences so um you know it just little tweaks but that's the thing it's just little tweaks you know what i mean and this sold really well the superman line uh uh grew up uh by the time uh the 90s are in full swing there's basically uh four running superman books one for each week of the month uh, with annuals and fifth week books coming out all the time. Uh, but John Byrne leaves after two years because basically a kind of weird reality set in where, you know, this was John Byrne's big ego moment. I get to forge the future of this legendary archetype. And mm-hmm. yet they're still like putting Supergirl on lunchboxes and they're uh-huh. still uh, having like, uh, you know, the like the changes I'm making and like the ideas that I'm doing. Uh, they're still selling action figures of Lex Luthor in his dumb purple costume. I gave him like a like what's happening? And the editorial staff basically sat down and was like, "All right, listen, I know we said you get to make Superman, but you make comic book Superman. Ah, that is completely different from Lunchbox Superman. Lunchbox Superman will literally never change, and is actually the more important Superman for us. <laughs> That's and honestly, the idea of Lunchbox Superman like stuck with me. It's like a very powerful thing that no matter what take on the character and no matter what shifts always happen it's going to be pajama superman that like outlives everything no matter what and that's always why it's always interesting and that's why again to foreshadow what i feel like Zack snyder ended up doing with superman is really removing him too far from that lunchbox superman to the point where he's, he's just like it's like it's not a dark brute it's he still has to be that vibrant american you know pastime like you know like like hero he's got to be this bright shining thing and and it's hard to sell him on a level of like um it's a dark world and i'm superman living it you know what i mean well it's it's amazing that both brian singer and uh yeah and Zack snyder both whiffed in that regard even though they went separate they went separate ways with what a brooding superman meant i did actually i will i have to admit I, I didn't watch it again. I should have for this, to be honest. I actually, we'll get into it when we get to the singer Superman. I remember enjoying that movie. I remember my buddy Jared uh, was like, you know, this movie was like way underappreciated. Every, a lot of people didn't like it, but I thought it was pretty great. Focuses more on other things than you would expect from like a big superhero movie. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get to but it. But we'll get there. But I actually quite enjoyed it. But before we get to all that, another uh, one of the first Superman that I remembered, or versions of Superman that I remembered, was the uh, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman TV show. Da, 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 
Yes. I thought our whole family would sit down and watch that yeah, every week. Because I loved it. It had it had action scenes. It had superhero scenes. It had romance. It, oh, that will they or won't they? Yeah. Holton, will they? Or won't they? Fuck Ross and Rachel. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was I was looking at Lois and Clark, and I was feeling feelings about um uh uh oh what's her name? Terry motherfucking T- Hatcher. Terry Hatcher was banging as uh Lois Lane, and I w- I felt boy things <laughs> about her. <laughs> I wanted to be a man for her in those moments when I was watching that show. So this is we're taking the the non-existent machine back to. 19- I remember as a kid seeing how uh, Dean Kane Superman got to be with Terry Hatcher, and I thought to myself, "That's what I got to be when I grow up. I want to look like Dean Kane." I failed horribly. I failed spectacularly at that goal, but it was a goal. Damn it was it. a goal, and that's what matters, right? No, I did not do a not. great job. <laughs> Really dropped the ball. So the American TV series called Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman ran for 87 episodes starting in 1993, which is a lot more episodes than I remember, actually. It loosely follows the John Byrne modern origin story, focusing on the relationship between Lois and Clark. Um, the, The president of DC Comics for years had been trying to sell a Superman TV show and in 1991 got help from Les Moonves. Um, Les Moonves is the one who wrote the... No, I was thinking he's like a big uh, TV executive. He's just Mister Executive. For some reason, I got, I'm getting confused with the guy who wrote the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song. No, that's Chuck Lorre. Okay, that's Chuck Lorre. Same guy, right? I think of him as the guy that wrote the Toxic Crusaders theme oh, song. Oh, right. But... Sorry, apologies. Yeah. And a uh, lady named Deborah Joy Levine. They they helped sell it to ABC and um, really kept it more grounded at first. I think a lot of that was. Largely due to the fact that obviously it's a TV show, and back in those days, we're we're not talking about like Game of Thrones level budgets here. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they couldn't do a lot of special effects. I think that's what kind of forced them to focus more on the romantic relationship between Lois and Clark. Keep those big, you know, action scenes kind of at a minimum. At least at first, it started out that way. Gradually, got more fantastical as time went on. And uh, yeah, I I loved that show. I really, I really, I remember watching the shit out of that. I'm actually, I have to look up who the actor was that played Lex Luthor in that because, like, they let him keep his hair. He was that good. Um, I I can't remember <laughs> if it's in the uh, pilot episode or in the first season, but there's a scene where like. Uh, Lex the Lex Luthor uh, lets a cobra out into his own living room just so he can like stare it down and prove it's dominant. <laughs> and as a kid, I was like, "Oh, that's a badass guy." <laughs> but it was a hit. It was a major yeah, hit. Did well. And uh, wait, wait, like, why are you bringing up this uh, this TV show? Why am I bringing up the TV show? Yeah. Because I remember it so fondly from my childhood. Oh, I thought you were going to mention the fact that it completely fucked over the entire writing staff (laughs) of the Superman comics in around the year 1992. No. What happened? So, uh, (laughs) as we said, John Byrne relaunched the Superman books, and uh, they ended up with four monthly books. And uh, in order to coordinate all these, you know, because these stories are all taking place in the same universe... The uh, writers and editors would go to a super summit every couple of months to make sure that everyone's on the right path and kind of plan out storylines because they were really a fan of continuity and, you know, making the stories so that to follow it, you'd have to keep picking up each separate book. Uh, each individual writer kind of had their own focus. Uh, Louise Simonson, if I remember correctly, uh, was always like wanting to tell stories in Metropolis's like suicide slum. 
Carl Kiesel was really obsessed with like Project Cadmus stuff, which was like a weird 70s, 80s Superman plot line. But, you know, they had to. And Dan Jurgens, who was like a new hot, uh, new hotness, like a very, uh, you know, one of those big 90s guys along the lines of uh, what's a big 90s comic book artist? Big 90s. Uh, Rob Liefeld. Todd McFarlane. Yeah. yeah, One of those guys um, was also like a new hotshot and his books were selling well. And uh, their big idea was to finally get uh, uh, Lois Lane and Superman married. They were going to the, the, will they or won't they? They will. And then the higher ups at DC said, actually, we just greenlit a TV series and uh, they want to make sure that there's parody with the TV series. Also, uh, the TV show would like to marry them first. Yes, they had this whole, whole outline. This was their big kind of future thing, which, by the way, if you remember, too, um, this was back. I remember I remember I talked about how boring the Cyclops uh, Jean Grey marriage was. Um, Spider-Man Mary Jane marriage, also was pretty boring. All of those happening around the same time, which were not really. I don't understand why they thought that was going to bring a big draw for a comic book. Well, it was a big fans. event you would like. Sure, but I mean, it's a marriage and we're all a bunch of like horny boy, you know, comic book readers that want like big action sequences and stuff and rad dude and dark brooding characters. I think a wedding is like the opposite of like what with the trend of comic books during, around that time. You Every know? once in a while, like the, the fact that comic heroes have to like stay in this perpetual uh, frozen status quo just breaks down. Because yeah. all these writers and all these fans have been following this these characters for like, it usually happens like 20, 30 years or so right. that they just have to just, the dam breaks and finally some sort of growth has to happen. Yes, Jerry Ordway jokingly in a in a writer's meeting says uh, when they're trying to figure out what the fuck they're going to do now that they can't marry these two characters, which is like their whole big thing. He was like, why don't we just kill Superman? And uh, people were like... Maybe you got something. That with was this. their joke every time they hit a dead end in the writer's room. Oh, let's just kill him. Was always their ha 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 funny, funny answer. So uh, this time, though, they actually, actually decided to, you know, kill him. Mm-hmm. They said, we're going to do it. Let's do the death of Superman. They pitch it out uh, to to uh, the powers that be and are a bit shocked that uh, they actually got it across, got it over. You know, it was uh, essentially this came from the feeling, according to um, Carlin. Oh, what is his first name? Mike Carlin, the editor. A quote from him was, the world was taking Superman for granted. So we literally said, let's show what the world would be like without Superman. And uh, Siegel, Jerry Siegel himself gave his blessing. He felt that it was also a a good way to shake things up. And um, yeah, uh, the one thing that bums me out about this is it forces DC to cancel a non canon four issue limited series that Sandman creator Neil Gaiman and Matt Wagner were working on which have also featured Superman's like death mammoth have, indie talents like at the time that would have been amazing it would have been super super duper cool so uh yeah that but, weird thing about that one is that it was going to be a like the four issues were going to be based on each season of the year um which then ended up being cool. used by uh, Jeff Loeb in Superman for All Seasons. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. like, I don't know if the, they were aware of that project. It's just like a bizarre quirk of history. Interesting. Uh, I, that is a bit of a comic trope because that reminds me of a Long Halloween, the Batman trade, which is all ho- holidays, you mm-hmm. know? So anyways, uh, 
They get together and they felt, you know, they're trying to figure out what what, what foe can we put against him that would uh, be interesting, a good way to kill him. And they felt like the general foes tend to rely too much on technology and intellect. It was always, you know, Lex Luthor, Brainiac. Mm-hmm. They're always about the mind and about, you know, technological power to take Superman down. And they were like, why don't we just have a straight up essentially melee character fight him and and um and kill him so they end up going with doomsday now a lot of this sounded lazy to me <laughs> i have to well, be honest well the fact that the character's name uh was sparked by the fact that the title of the event was going to be doomsday for superman and so they were just like well, let's just call him doomsday yeah they wrote it on a chalkboard when during the during the meetings which by the way during the um uh, a lot of this stuff kind of goes down during what is called the Superman Summit, mm-hmm. which is attended by a large the the large writing team of the four running comics that you were mentioning earlier. Writer Dan Jurgens, I uh, love this quote from him. Generally, we all got in a room and tossed around story ideas. A lot of times we disagreed, had some big fights, and the last person left standing was the winner and ultimately got their way. And Mike Carlin, the editor, said he was often forced to act like a babysitter for the 18 divergent artistic egos crowded in one room. I would love to be a fly in the wall during the screaming matches about what is going to happen in, to Superman in 1993. Like, that would have been amazing. <laughs> I actually like the decision to make Doomsday just this, like, psycho space nobody that just comes out of nowhere. Uh-huh. They, just... they, yeah, they, no origin. They decided the origin wasn't important. Because it would be super, like, imagine how anticlimactic it would be. Uh, just to have Superman once again be trapped somewhere with like kryptonite and he gets weaker and weaker. And then instead of just being like, but wait, I, I figured something out. If I can just move this lead panel or like, or just that fucked up thing where like he's dying of kryptonite poisoning, but he just like really believes in himself and like pushes through anyway. He just drops dead. That would have been like weird and gross. <laughs> and you don't want to see like Lex Luthor win. It's actually one of the more, more brilliant things they did. Uh, was kind of follow Lex, uh, which at the time was a younger clone version of himself with a shock of red hair. It was very weird and a cool beard. Uh, Just have to psychologically deal with the fact that like the one thing he's always wanted to kill Superman was taken by him from like a natural, what is basically a walking natural disaster. Yes. Um, But Doomsday is just Gray Hulk with a ponytail and a bunch of bone spikes. (laughs) Which uh, Jurgen says was kind of influenced by the kind of more extreme, jagged characters that were coming out image of Image Comics. Out of Image Comics. Absolutely. And that's why I probably loved this so much as a kid. I, I was all in. And this is where... Are you saying Doomsday was extreme? Yeah, yes. Yes. I wanted to uh, smoke my first ever cigarette with him <laughs> if I could have during that time when I was a little kid reading the comic book. I, I remember loving this whole thing. I remember I had the trade when it came out. I remember how much of a big deal this all was. The whole death of Superman thing. It was it was pretty amazing. Uh, it was also just like the almost the victim in the end of a slow news day. It got a ton of press. It was it was huge. It got featured all over the place. Um, on you know what was it? P- Newsweek, People, Newsday. 
Uh, it was the big news story of the week. I think it was like kind of a slow news season. You in have to general. understand to the younger listeners that this was the early nineties. Yes, uh, Bill Clinton hadn't yet cheated uh, at the in the Oval Office. No cigar, uh, no cigar up the vagina. The economy was doing great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Soviet Union fell. There was like a solid five years there where there was just nothing to talk about. Yeah, it was like everyone was just like, oh, whoa, 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 woman playing baseball. You know, it was a lot of that kind of stuff. There wasn't really a whole lot to write home about. The music of House of Pain bopped on the radio. And I was furiously learning how to masturbate just for hours on. I was just humping mattresses and doing all sorts of weird stuff. You had mastered the up, but you still didn't figure out down. Still hadn't figured out the down yet, so that was a whole shock and surprise later on. It was a real magical time. <laughs> it ain't me. It ain't me. And I'm just masturbating. Just <laughs> up. doing the monotone, but just up. My arms just fucking, <laughs> like, just sore, just 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 one incredibly strong right arm too just one like massively muscled right arm and then just like this weak stick left arm it was a weird time for all and this was also and you definitely if you've listened to our spawn episode if you've listened to our episode about x-men during um this time period uh, it was all about variant covers it was all about these collector's editions this is the first time that people started to realize that comic like comic books from you know action comics number one and all all of those old old comics were starting to become worth like really big sums of money and so everybody was jumping on the collector's item train i think this was one of the biggest biggest ones also because of crisis on infinite earths that that kind of made them realize oh we can do these long multi you know streaming through multi different issues of different comic books different titles we can do these big events, and people want those. And I think that that crisis really kind of started that off, and this was like kind of the next step for that. It was like, oh, let's get another big event in there. Um, and also, what you have to remember, kind of like how with Blair Witch Project, when everybody, you know, everybody thought like it was real, like the first day it came out, uh, everybody thought that this really was the death of Superman. And including myself and a lot of other people, nobody thought they were just going to immediately bring him back, which, spoiler alert, they, like, immediately bring him back. Well, they made the writers sign non-disclosure agreements saying that they could not reveal that he was coming back. And they were, like, pretty uh, smart. They actually suspended the books for, I believe it was, like, how long? Like, a month? Two months? Mm. There was uh, I feel like they should have suspended it for at least a year. Two months. They suspended the books for two okay. months while releasing these like side stories where the rest of the DC universe, uh, Funeral for a Friend was mm-hmm. the name of the storyline. Yes, the first, uh, the first. by the way, the death of Superman is just called Doomsday! Exclamation point. And then they did Funeral for a Friend depicting Superman's fellow superheroes and the rest of the world mourning to his death and uh, Jonathan Kent's eventual heart attack. Pa, pa Kent. Uh, also dies as well. And that was kind of the big arc there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of brings us into Reign of Superman, where we had Reign the f- of the Superman. Reign of the Superman. I'm sorry, because it's, they brought this was so weird to me. And I still collected a bunch of these. 
But this is I when think they I have every issue have somewhere in a long box. Like my dad would come home from work, he would come back with like a paper bag from the comic book shop, and I would just like devour these books. Yeah. I was obsessed. Yeah, I, it was a big, big event. And at the same time, I was horribly confused by the four different Superman. So now they have like multiple titles, all these different Superman coming out of the, of the woodwork. You mentioned them earlier, but it was Superboy is one of them, and he was sort of like the trying to be like the MTV generation cool kid Superman. There was a Eradicator, uh, which which sunglasses one? Superman? What the fuck? Which what? I try to figure out which kind of Superman he is. He's sort of an alien. He's an alien from. He is like this weird, like artificial construct of Kryptonian technology. Using I'm not, I'm still getting this wrong. Uh, that like created a biological vessel for Superman, but something went wrong. So his eyes are like very sensitive. That's why he had to wear the sunglasses. He also did. Uh, he did the cool thing, which is he got to shoot uh, amorphous energy blasts out of his fists, which is the coolest kind of power to have. There you go. And then Hank Henshaw. Well, we didn't know it was Hank Henshaw. Uh, the cyborg soup, term- the other Terminator Superman. Why did they? That's fine. Uh, this, th- By the way, this is all very reminiscent of the Spider-Man episode we did. And this was happening around the same time as that, where they had the- uh, uh, The Clone Saga. The Clone Saga, yeah. Where it was the all Clone these Saga Spider-Man. was like basically their answer to the Superman saga. Right. Because they saw just how much DC was cleaning up. But the problem is, by the way, the, the uh, oh, and then also John Henry Irons, the metal- Steel. The Steel Man Superman. The Black Steel Man Superman. Yes. Uh, And they had all these four Superman, and it was like essentially which one of them were going to replace Superman. They were all kind of like up, up for it, essentially. There's also around the time where we're voting on M&Ms. It was a strange, strange part of of, uh, American history, I feel. There's a lot of a lot of cash grabs going on, Um, but then there is the resurrection of Superman with the Adventures of Superman number 500. It was actually uh, Jerry Ordway's final issue that he did, and he actually, again, I'm pissed about this pulling away from Neil Gaiman stuff. They were they he wanted to use characters from Sandman, such as like Death and stuff, and it was going to be awesome, but he was unable to do so because there was an editorial mandate barring Vertigo characters appearing in mainstream books like Superman, which is dumb and annoying, and it makes me angry. So uh, there turns you go. out he wasn't dead; he was in a Kryptonian hypersleep, cool, and just had to be placed into a resurrection chamber to absorb enough sunlight. And 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 by the way, okay, so Superman comes back. I remember I have that issue when he comes back, and you're like, wait, what? And then, peop- well, what if you remember? I believe what happened was, uh, turns out Mongol, which was the bad guy from uh, the story where uh, Superman gets a weird rose on his chest, and he believes that he's a Kryptonian. He's uh, back uh, on Krypton. Uh, uh, what, what do you for what the you, man who has for everything. the man who has everything? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is, uh, by the way, Alan Moore, and we've covered it in the Alan Moore episode, and it's awesome. Yeah. Mongo comes back, destroys Green Lantern's home city of Coast City with a giant kryptonite-powered MacGuffin machine, and uh, all the supermen come to try and stop him, uh, and I believe what happens is Mongol shoots, like, a giant kryptonite beam at Superman. The Eradicator, like, goes like, no! And uh, the kryptonite filtered through Eradicator's dying body gives Superman his powers back because he came back and he didn't have powers. He was dressed in all black and had guns, cool guns, and uh, also a mullet. 90s back to life Superman had a cool mullet. Did you like this? Because people, first of all, you have to know the public was kind of pissed. 
They thought Superman was really dead and ran out, and there were like lines around the block to get that Death of Superman comic, which was number 75. I Superman believe. 75. Superman number 75. My brother has like the fancy edition of it, like in a in a case or whatever. It's probably worth nothing. Um, I had the trade. There were there were literally like they had rules at the comic book shop, like one per customer. <laughs> it was a there was just it was obscene. There was like a mad dash. There were four different variants mm -hmm. of that issue. It was this whole crazy, as you would say, MacGuffin of, of just like cash grabbing and everything. And all, all this really did, by the way, was uh, essentially give them like a big spike in sales for like a month. But then it just went back. Everything just went back to the way the way it was selling before, and people were generally kind of angry about the fact that um, that this this uh, this happened. That they didn't actually straight kill Superman. Everybody really it was sold to them as that. Uh, did you did you feel that way, or you were just totally into it? You were. Just I on was board? totally into it. Uh, I it was the first time I really followed a serialized comic story from beginning to end. Uh, I even bought this shitty Super Nintendo game. It was beat em up, yes. poorly balanced, very repetitive. Yes. Um, and at the yeah, I appreciated. it. I enjoyed it. I kept reading Superman after he came back to life. But then like he kind of settled into his old thing, and like he eventually married uh, Lois, and like it just kind of, it just didn't, it didn't hold my attention anymore because there were more interesting things happening in comics at the time. Right, right, and uh, yeah, I, I, I just remember feeling like I was, I was, uh, the, uh, I had a bait and switch pulled on me for the first time ever. I think as as a little kid, uh, DC ended up shipping between two point five and three million copies of the issue when it was released on November 17, nineteen ninety two, and it sold out across America. It really was a big deal. It was one of my most strongest memories. As a kid of, you know, an event in comics, the Doomsday Trade, that section, just the whole fight, I must have read that 10, 20 times. I, I, I absolutely loved it. And, uh, you know, it was just this big fight. One cool thing about it was that it was essentially, there was kind of a countdown to the actual comic book near I the end. I never realized this until we did research. Yeah, yeah. that it was, it, it starts, it's like four panels, and then it moves down to three panels. And then by the end of it, it's just these giant splash pages of the final moments of that fight when they both uh, kill each other, spoiler alert, at the same time with one final blow. And it's absolutely absolutely uh, uh, worked on me. I thought it was super cool, and I loved loved reading about it or um, reading it. After that, the '90s kind of has highs and lows. Uh, I feel like some of the more interesting Superman stories uh, kind of shift from the actual core Superman books to kind of what Grant Morrison was doing with the JLA. Mm -hmm. um, You've got uh, Lois and Clark, husband and bride. They do finally marry them off after the death of Superman mm -hmm. stuff. You've got. Um, you also do have a quick sidebar: the Superman the animated series, which was by the Batman animated series uh, team of Bruce Timm and Paul Dini. Uh, it, it combined different elements from the different ages of Superman, which you're going to see a lot of, by the way, in these next like bits of coverage of at least what happens with the comic book before we get into the modern day movies. It's it's. I think now we're dealing with the generation of people who know, have known the different ages of Superman and are now pulling from uh, each age 
different little elements that they liked and kind of mashing them together with whatever recreation they're going to make. Um, midway through that series, they start combining Superman with Batman for the new Batman Superman Adventures, and that spun off into a Justice League show. Did you watch any of I, I watched Batman the Animated Series. I didn't really watch much of the Superman or the Batman Superman or the Justice, Justice League series. Oh, Did they were all great. Uh, right? That, that's, a, that's a really great team. Like, that's a great, great uh, Batman the Animated Series is amazing. Most people know that, I think, but yeah. Um, the what the Bruce Tim uh, definitely reduced Superman's power set. Uh, he couldn't just move planets. He kind of had, you know, he was strong. He was tough. He could fly. But like, uh, even I was always interesting to see him. Uh, I find when I think of the Superman animated series, I think of Superman being like trapped in some kind of electrical cage and going like. <laughs> he's like and then he always breaks free it's uh that and the amazing apocalypse storyline r.i.p dan turpin um also the terrible n64 game that yes. we could probably do a whole episode, a whole episode on or maybe we'll do a bonus episode eventually because i actually am just realizing right now that i didn't i meant to do more research on any research on Super okay right now hold in look at me in the eye uh coming soon to the wizard and the bruiser bonus <laughs> yes. show available only on patreon.com slash whizbrew we're doing a <laughs> recap on the history of the n64 it's card. almost embarrassing how many like full playthroughs of that game i've watched because it's such a bad game that I like every now and again I'll just go look at a playthrough of it to like marvel at its horribleness. It's, the, it's like Tommy Wiseau's <laughs> The Room of Video yeah, Games. Yeah, it is. That's the best. That is the best description of it. It is such a fiasco. It is so terrible. Um, so then you have, do you remember Superman Red, Superman Blue? Oh, God. I blocked it out of my memory. <laughs> It's an imaginary story, uh, in quotes, written by Leo Dorfman and with art by Kurt Swan, oh, who is the renowned oh, artist of the Oh, yeah, of, so of it was a, a Silver Age imaginary story. Ah. But it fuck that was canon in, when they brought back the concept in the 90s. Oh, God. So Superman invents a machine to accomplish otherwise impossible goals that will increase his intelligence in a hundredfold. And its side effect is that it splits him in two. He ends up having a red version of him and a blue version of him. Uh, and it's a whole thing. And then he ends up becoming a uh, being of electromagnetic energy that it can only be contained in some sort of like a, a weird body suit mm-hmm. that is in the shape of Superman. Yep. What is happening? Why? Why? Uh, why, Jake? I honestly I honestly didn't look into the how, when, or why, but it, <laughs> it made this new kind of energy Superman that was still incredibly powerful and still kind of like insane. Um but it was, yeah, he had to, like, alternate the wavelengths of light and travel through, like, internet wires and do all this crazy <laughs> bullshit. I think what they, what he kind of ended up doing was creating a Superman story where, like, it, because there's something to those early Superman stories, even in the Silver Age and especially in the Golden Age, where he had to think of, like, novel uses of his powers to save the day. Mm-hmm. And, like, the energy Superman stories is like, I wonder if I can, by vibrating into the infrared spectrum, I could. And, like, it's 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 very easy storytelling. Once again, as I said, uh, Grant Morrison actually did a lot of really cool shit uh, with the concept in in the JLA, in his JLA run. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, apropos of nothing, just read that shit. It's real good. Uh, There's so, angels. So I think the real big kind of landmark, though, moment that is remembered, I think fondly, birthright. 
Birthright was yeah. Birthright was uh, that's early two thousands. Is Birthright written by Mark Wade, uh, who did work on Flash as well as Captain America and Daredevil for Marvel. Uh, he was requested to give readers an origin to redefine Superman for the twenty first century, a series that anyone on Earth can pick up and get in on the Superman story. He retcons the Superman's post crisis origin, replacing. Uh, Burns version yet using some elements from it Clark now possesses the ability to see oh yeah this is the big thing Clark Kent can now possess the ability to see a living being's aura uh, or essentially their soul and because of this he bec- he is a vegetarian mm. in this uh, in this version because he sees like you know the 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 the, the treasure that is like human and animal life um, he, he can uh, see when a person or animal dies, and that experience, um, is uh, he finds, profoundly disturbing. Also, Lex Luthor is a childhood friend in Birthright. Um, um, I didn't have too much more on that, but I know it was just... What's annoying about the whole Birthright thing is I just feel like they spend all this time yet again establishing an origin. Like, the thing I'm sick, sick of in superhero movies is happening with Superman like tenfold all through the like late 90s into the 2000s, which is just retelling that origin story just like over and over again, which is profoundly uninteresting to me. Though it, it is always interesting to see someone's different take on it maybe, but man, they just keep telling that origin story. Well, that's why you would probably, that's why I would say the real uh, redemption uh, best like, post 90 Superman story is still Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman. Yes. Because All-Star literally Superman. the first page of that is exactly what you said. The origin that you're sick of hearing is condensed into a a single page and it's lit and I think yeah, eight words. It is just doomed planet, desperate scientists, last hope, kindly couple. And then it just goes right into Superman. Yeah. And that plays with a lot of the goofier aspects of the Silver Age. Uh, but it grounds everything in a level of humanity and like real like kindness and care that uh, to me exemplifies Superman at his best. And even and like we said, the best thing you can do to Superman is kill him. All-Star Superman is a story of Superman in his final days. Absolutely. And I would say this too. Uh, I love this quote from Grant Morrison who wanted a he wanted a total update, rehaul and refit for Superman, as well as write a collection of timeless Superman issues, which I think is again more interesting to me. But he said that apparently the inspiration came from an encounter with a man dressed as Superman outside of the San Diego Comic-Con he was at where he was trying to come up with ideas to possibly do for this Superman run. He said he saw this Superman as Morrison uh, quotes he he was perched with one knee drawn up, chin resting on his arms. He looked totally relaxed, and I suddenly realized this was how Superman would sit. He wouldn't puff out his chest or posture heroically. He would be totally chilled. If nothing can hurt you, you can avo- you can afford to be cool. A man like Superman would never have it to tense against the cold, never have to flinch in the face of a blow. He would be completely laid back, untense, with this image of Superman relaxing on a cloud, looking out for us all in my head. I rushed back to my hotel room and filled dozens of pages of my notebook with do- notes and drawings. And if you look, I believe the first issue of All-Star Superman is that image of Superman knee up on a cloud, chilling with this big warm smile on his face. And it really it really screams true to, I think, a really phenomenal version of Superman. If we- you're one of those people that, you know, uh, and I know you're out there because I can see the numbers on our, <laughs> on our feed, uh, that honestly does not care for Superman, thinks the character is hokey, thinks the character is just like, without value is just uh, just too boring to even be worth considering. I 
beg of you, please, please pick up All-Star Superman. Steal it online if you have to. You can find the PDFs anywhere. Well, don't steal, but maybe we could, you know. Capitalism is a prison, and we must all break out through whatever means necessary. Um, I like Hershey. I like (laughs) Coca-Cola. I like Walmart. um, (laughs) I I love those things, too. Sometimes I just walk into a Walmart and I get happy. Ugh, it's so cold in there they too. They blast the AC. They blast that AC. And the the they carry like clothes in my size for like a quarter of the price of like all the other big and tall stores. You know what? You know where they don't blast the AC? Mom and pop shops. I say burn. <laughs> I say burn them to the ground. Shit, you win. Um, <laughs> well, we we did skip Infinite Crisis. Did we want to talk about it? That at all? That happened kind of in. Be- that happened in between Birthright and New Earth, uh, which was this crazy nonsense. I read that. <laughs> you read I, it. I read it. It was a big. It was a big. Was it Jeff Johns who wrote that it's one? It's Earth Two Superman versus like Earth One Superman, and they they get they escape from the the paradise dimension that they were put in uh, at the uh, end of uh, Superboy Crisis of Infinite Earths. All you need to know is that um, the one of the core conceits of that one is that uh, Superboy Prime, which is the Superboy of our universe, uh, punched the walls of reality so hard. That uh, that's why comic books were dark and brooding in the '90s. <laughs> like it's, I I can't. Um, and honestly, at this point, the comic book industry is kind of at the state where it is now, where like yeah. there's about a, anywhere from like a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand diehard fans that have been with it since they were kids, and you know, separate of like weird indie spinoff successes, like yeah, yeah no, there's Doc- like Doctor Dookie. No, no, there's there's oh, okay. like graphic novel successes that almost exist like outside, but like the major two superhero fans is just this like small community, rabid, creative, amazing, sometimes uh, horrible assholes, sometimes the nicest people you ever meet. And like they're the major, like they just don't have the influence as, as much as they did. Like no matter what, like the comic books now exist to like, foster ideas for the movies the movies don't exist to sell comic books right right uh and and uh, that's kind of where we're at you've got the new 52 which was tw- the 2011 DC comics reboot that made superman single and killed off the parents again uh he also starts a relationship with wonder woman for the first time ever oh, and that's all that. thing and then everybody got mad at that and then they're like don't worry it doesn't end well and then it doesn't end well but everybody's still mad that that's it happened that's such like oh that's such like a 6 year old train of thought being like strong man marry strong lady <laughs> I'm strong, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, 26 Rebirth, uh, or DC Rebirth, rather, the 2016 DC relaunch for its whole line, including Action Comics and Superman. This combines Superman from different uh, conflicting storylines into one complete version of Superman. There was uh, the Birthright version, and then there's a different version. I forget what it is. Uh, they, they, they ended up like... Uh, retconning it again and combining them all again and they got rid of the red underwear yeah which was a terrible idea because the red underwear serves to like uh, you know keep the design clear on the printed page if you're just going to have him in a blue bodysuit then like he's basically naked it doesn't make sense now jake before we get i feel like we've covered the comics at this point and before we get into the modern day films Mm -hmm. i have to say i have one embarrassing admission to make that i just realized just now i didn't do any research on smallville Neither I, did I. 
damn it. So again, maybe in Superman 64, we could also, when we do a, like an no, app on that, we can briefly cover Small. People love Smallville. I know people love Smallville. <laughs> don't, people don't really wanna, dig it. It's like I the modern day uh, uh, Lois and Clark TV show. You know what I mean? I will not report on Smallville until the actress who played Chloe is in prison for her weird sex cult thing. Oh, that's right. The weird sex cult thing. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That is so weird. Chloe from Why do we Do we have to talk about that? I'm just saying, if we're talking about Smallville, I'm going to talk about sex cults. Well, yeah, of course we're going to talk about sex cults when we talk about Smallville because it happened. Just like we have to talk about Kevin Spacey's dumbass in just a second. Uh. <laughs> I read that. I was like, when, when uh, so I will get into Superman Returns now. But I read, I remember being like, I really enjoyed Kevin Spacey's Lex Luthor. Now I have to go. Now I have to. He's a bad man. So are you saying that your admiration for his role was wrong? <laughs> remember that was the meme. That, that was, was the, the meme. meme. That was the meme. Was it's Kevin Spacey? Kevin Spacey yelling wrong remember, as Lex Luthor. Remember when he got in trouble? So he just like came out to try to like somehow. Like smoke and mirror everybody away from, or get everybody to like congratulate him for two seconds before I was like, no, but you did a bunch of shit. Also, we knew, bro. Everybody. (laughs) So, anyways, Superman Returns is a movie. It is by directed by Brian Singer, who also did X Two, First Class, all the good X Men movies. He did all the good ones. If you remember our uh, Deadpool episode, I gotta stop referring to old episodes and just act like everybody. This is everyone's first radio. Um, <laughs> for uh, the longest time, uh, Tom Hartman, the head of uh, head of Fox, uh, had a very contentious relationship with the X Men franchise. It extended from the Wolverine movies to the Deadpool movies. And uh, the first hint of that was when Brian Singer officially walked away from X-Men 3, Ah, which was, you know, something that he had been setting up for across two movies. And he was like, I can't deal with this. I'm not going to stick the landing. And um, he went over to Warner Brothers, where he kind of took control of this project that had been in development for years. They'd been trying to get a Superman movie made for basically since the Tim Burton uh, so, yeah, since the late 80s, they'd been trying to work on Superman. There'd always, and I remember back in this time, there'd always been rumors of some awesome director mm-hmm. involved. Nick Cage was going to be Superman at one they have point. The, they have the test shots of yeah. him in the suit. They, uh, like Kevin all these Smith weird tells his story Superman about the stories. spider. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, for the longest time, or not for the longest time, but uh, Mick G., Famous uh, Charlie's Angel and music video director Mick G was uh, going to take it. And uh, he had already cast like Brandon Routh and he had already done some initial work on it. And Brian Singer gets on board and he goes um, full Donner. He mm. like literally walks. To the point where yeah. he approaches Donner and is like, I want to make like the the real Superman 3. Yeah, essentially. And Donner's like all about it, Um, as well as Donner's wife, who was a major producer uh, on the film, uh, also goes ahead with this vision. Uh, They go through, as we mentioned last episode, uh, all the hoops paying like I think like 15 million dollars to get the lost footage of Marlon Brando. They make the Donner cut and uh, they take this very weird decision to make a direct sequel to the Donner movies. Um, if you watch the opening, I it, it had been a while since I'd seen it. Uh, the opening credits are literally in that same 80s, like 3D whoosh style as the Donner movies. It is, uh, you know, it's almost like note for note how they go down the line to, to kind of 
uh, uh, summon that feeling. Everything from like Lex Luthor being a goofy land magnate with like a gal Friday at his side. Uh, you know, uh, Brandon Routh is basically just Christopher Reeves. Like he says he wanted to do Christopher Reeves. They shot him like he was Christopher Reeves. Um, they cast Kate Bosworth as Lois Lane, which was such a weird mistake because yeah. like Marco Kidder had such like an insane manic depressive energy about her yeah. and then to replace her with like I I know she wasn't this old but like a 17 year old yeah that was probably the big the the, the one mistake I would say looking back on it they, they should have probably gotten a stronger Lois Lane I didn't mind the approach though it was just not a movie that people expected they thought they were going to get this big superhero action movie but it, it again kind of focused more on more on the the romance. It fo- it was almost like more of a romance story than anything else almost. But even that, they had fucking, uh, what's boring Cyclops? What was your character? Uh, uh, Brandon, who, Brandon Ralph? No, no, you're Cyclops. What did you call him? Uh, uh, I think just Pussyclops. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, they had James Marsden <laughs> as like uh, Perry White's nephew who had shacked up with Lois and was like raising his uh, like Superman's love child uh, together. Yeah, Singer stated about Superman Returns that it was made for, as he says, perhaps more of a female audience. It wasn't what it needed to be, I guess. Uh, I think it was, I think it got a worse rap than it necessarily should have gotten. I, I didn't think it was incredible, but I definitely thought it was a little underrated. Is all I'll say. The critics really liked it, but uh, it got re- reviewed very, very well. But it just did not do anything at the box office. There are some really clutch scenes. Um, wow, my voice got way nasal as soon as I was talking about it. Uh, <laughs> the famous shot where the bullet is stopped on his eye. The uh, airplane rescue where he lands the plane in the middle of a baseball game That's as cool. everyone cheers. Uh, cool. You have to understand, this was a post-9-11 kind of movie the world was in a weird place people wanted a superman there are actually going to be references to 9-11 that they cut out of the movie yeah mm-hmm. um and like i remember in the theaters honestly like even if the movie itself the the tone the weird way that they were and weren't the donner movies at the same time left me very ill at ease but when superman was out there being superman i was locked in um but it didn't have a lot of action Literally, like, uh, Superman just lifts stuff. He never, like, I don't even know if he throws a punch. I genuinely don't remember. I could not remember that either. Uh, I know he gets. I I saw it a while ago, too, though. It was years ago that I saw this movie. Um, He gets, like, you know, uh, he's just always, they're they're dealing with crystals, and it's it's just not, it doesn't gel. I just remember, I saw this movie back when I would go to friends' houses and peruse their DVD collections and, and to, to ask to borrow a movie for the night because, like, that's how I took in entertainment. Mm-hmm. And I never do that anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you had a but you had friend, you had different friends, you'd go to their place to hang out and they'd have like big DVD collections and you'd leave with like a few DVDs like to borrow. And it was so exciting because you had like movies to watch for the next couple of days. That's like n- a non existent experience. Anymore. I can watch anything I've ever wanted to watch at any given time <laughs> yeah. from anywhere. It's, I actually, I'm fine with that. But it bums me out a little bit because I used to, just like going to Blockbuster, it used to be so exciting to be like, fuck yeah. I didn't, th- you know, like I, I'm so excited to go home and like, you know, watch all these movies. 
You know, or that weird uh, DVD shop uh, that was um, uh, had jerk off booths in the back that had all the burnt uh, screeners and stuff. Mm. Murray's getting so excited about going there, and it would smell like cum, <laughs> and I would buy a bunch of bad burnt DVDs of fucking just, movies that were still in theaters. Yeah, movies that were still in theaters, and like the guy was real creepy and weird, and like welcome to my parlor, little boy. And I'd always be like, "Is this good quality?" Be like, "Very good, very good," and I take it up. And it'd be like terrible. And there was guys jerking <laughs> off in the. <laughs> <laughs> but either way, a more innocent time. A more really. innocent. <laughs> a more innocent time. Well, uh, can do you want to get your? You should get your big old duffel bags out. Are you ready, Jake, to unpack the bullshit? <laughs> That is the sort of DC extended universe, the shenaniganry that's been going on since 2013 with Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the Man of Steel. See, now we're all we're like catching up to uh, Nerd of Mouth. I feel like at this point, like, did you guys do a Man of Steel episode? We did a Man of Steel episode. I figured. So I want. I I I feel like you've definitely explored this territory before on that show, and I wanted. Really should have. No, wait. I think our archives got deleted in some shuffle. Actually, it's hard to find them. (gasps) No. If you if you have links, if you can find a link to uh, the Nerd of Mouth Superman episode, or God help you, you still have it stored on an iPod that you just left in a drawer. Uh, (laughs) And send me a link, man. Whoa. Um, Well, yeah. Please, I want to hear it too. But. so the lesson they learned from Superman Returns is that people want to see Superman do cool Superman stuff. They want to punch supervillains and like smash shit and like, you know, really kind of flex the muscles of uh, what modern special effects can do. They don't want Superman just kind of like looking through Lois Lane's window and feeling sad, which has happened a lot in Superman Returns, if you don't remember. Yes, yes. Um, and uh, also Warner Brothers was just continuously watching in horror as Marvel, a stu- like a company that like for the longest time, you know, their whole thing compared to DC was DC had the backing of Warner Brothers so they could make the cool movies while Marvel kind of struggled with like weird third party studios and bad screenplays. Marvel just made their own studio, released their own movies and was slowly conquering the universe while DC had been like dicking around and like struggling to put its pants on, spending twenty years trying to make Superman Returns, mm, mm-hmm. and so uh, they yeah, it goes it goes all the way back to to June two thousand six when Warner Brothers is taking pitches and trying to figure out what what the fuck to do next, how to how to just reboot it and 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 move forward, you know. And so Christopher Nolan and David S. Goyer, who were you know Christopher Nolan did the uh, Batman Begins, Dark Knight, and uh, Dark. Dark Knight Rises, I believe. Um, yes, came in with their pitch. Love that you had a hard time remembering the third movie name of the third movie. By the I, way, I, I just remember the third <laughs> Oh, I can't believe <laughs> I was you were ra- I was raised in the Dark Knight. <laughs> oh, there's a lot of things. It's a bu- movie about bureaucracy. The ending of the movie <laughs> devolves into the weird. <laughs> nuclear bomb thing. Why does he keep putting a mask on my mouth? I'm a good actor. I was to remember Bronson. Oh, it was a good movie. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm getting super slap happy at this point. Yeah, <laughs> we're getting we're getting, three weeks of Superman, man. Um, it's a crazy tale. And <laughs> Warner Brothers thinks Kaching Goldmine 
like even though we had greenlit this trilogy as a trilogy now it's the base of our extended universe and like go yes. nolan go goyer but then they attach Zack snyder as the director Yes, and Zack Snyder, uh, known for his dark brooding style in films like 300 and films like The Watchmen and films like 300. Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch, that that murdering uh, box office murderer. (laughs) Uh, As Zack kind of exerts control, Christopher Nolan backs away from the project. But, but, if there's one thing Snyder is great at, he cuts a fantastic trailer. He is, like, I'm not going to deny, he gets imagery really well. He communicates a lot very quickly. Watchmen is a movie pretty much just based on really cool shots. It's kind of the reason why he translates comics so well is because he can capture the energy of a comic book panel with his compositions as well as do it for relatively, uh, I don't want to say cheap, but his, like, the way he understands how effects works means that he can shoot effectively for special effects artists to come in. But they were also going to get... They were Originally, they were going to have Guillermo del Toro, but he had to pass it up because of At the Mountains of Madness, which didn't even come out. And we I'm just could so fill bummed a, out. We could fill a Bible with all the cool shit Guillermo del Toro almost did. There, was, there was also the kick-ass team of Mark Miller and Matthew Vaughn. They pitched this, like, Lord of the Rings style like eight hour epic trilogy that um ended up not actually going through there were so many different writers that Graham Morrison made pitches based off of his uh uh what was it again all-star superman right or Mm -hmm. no no no. yeah and and uh yeah there were just all these but I think what do you think do you think it was Nolan's dark brooding Batman trilogy and their connection connecting that to a DC extended universe that fucked the whole thing up or was it Zack Snyder's um, given the role of director of Superman that fucked up the DC extended universe because I'm going from the viewpoint that the DC universe's extended universe is kind of fucked up which is obvious but from the horrible horrible box office sales of the Justice League film uh, I believe it is also fucked up but I will acknowledge that the initial decision by Warner Brothers to zig dark where Marvel zagged like funny and and uh, and quippy yeah was a was a decent move yeah considering the fact that even though I honestly believe these movies are terrible there is such a core fan base of like I no I'm not going to make why I I'm not going to make wide generalizations, horny 14-year-olds that uh-huh. truly love these movies because that style and that anger and that darkness that kind of lies beneath it resonates so strongly that, like, the fact that... They would have crushed it in the 90s with these movies, right? Well, if they had the same... If the effects would have been mind-blowing. Yeah, but uh, you know what I mean, though? But it was, it was, an aste- it was a, the aesthetic itself is a little bit dated. Nolan's... Dark Knight trilogy, which even fell off on the third movie, was was um, it was just that the fucking movies were so good that like Dark and Brooding worked. But I didn't really necessarily think that even that aesthetic was like a sign of the times. You know what I mean? It was just that they had Heath Ledger as the Joker. They had this pacing that was incredible. They had these like massive, amazing set pieces and awesome acting and the, awesome, um, you know, uh, pacing. Uh, as I'll say again. That uh, Nolan's movies had so many insane practical effects going on, while Mm. Snyder's movies are just kind of a wash of, like, color-muted CGI bullshit is uh, something to be said stylistically. But 
Yeah, Snyder says on the film's aesthetic he wanted it to appear very natural because there's some very fantastical things in there, and he wanted people to suspend their disbelief, and we, the visual effects team, had to make make it as easy as possible for them to do so. He was trying to make it more grounded, Mm -hmm. more like, which I liked that going into the movie. I didn't super mind the movie. I didn't, like, hate the movie. You know what I mean? Um, I thought it was fine. We're getting very much into opinion town, and I'm sorry... Uh, go on the Facebook page, have a nice civil discussion about it. Um, uh, Snyder has this very like authoritarian uh, kind of vein running through his stuff. So the idea that like uh, Krypton was like based on like that Superman was important in this movie because of like he was a natural born Kryptonian and was like free of uh, government overregulation that like Superman was also Jesus. There was like literal scenes of him in a church. Warner Brothers even set up a website, uh, manofsteelresources.com that contains a nine page pamphlet entitled Jesus, the original superhero. Like this is ingrained in that movie. It's kind of been proven at this point yeah. that the film is, is uh, Superman is Jesus, which is again talking about how this two Jewish men wrote this. Creating sort of a modern day Jesus figure, and now he's now it's just like this, yeah. Um, Christian filmmaker making his Jesus story is very that very um the movie like really gave Pa Kent the shaft, where like it was cool, yeah. it was cool Russell Crowe science dad that was like the one that was making things better, while like boring normal dad Pa Kent was dying in a tornado needlessly. Um, it it all kind of added up to. Just something that, like, I watched it on screen and was just like, that's not my Superman. Even the ending, which he snaps Zod's neck, like, and does, like, a big, like, screamy, like, no! Like, I was just like, ah, that's, no. Like, (laughs) Superman finds a way. That's why he's Superman. Which, if you're, again, a very angry, horny 14-year-old, you're like, yeah, that's right, Superman. Sometimes shit's fucked up. (laughs) Like, you know, that's, that's what that person needs. I needed something else. Um... And then when you get into Batman v Superman and Justice League, all the flaws kind of cascade after one another. And, you know, it's studio meddling trying to make the movies more Marvel-like. Snyder says of Batman v Superman, after Man of Steel finished and we started talking about what would be in the next movie, I started subtly mentioning that it would be cool if he faced Batman. You're in a story meeting talking about, like, who should Superman fight if he fought this giant alien threat Zod, who was basically his equal physically from his, from his planet, fighting on our turf. You know, who to fight next. But I'm not going to say at all that when I took the job to do Man of Steel that I did it in a subversive way to get to Batman. But he totally like did it in a subversive way to get to Batman. So they um, Snyder and Goyer co-write the story with Nolan in an advisory role. Um, it was uh, uh, then the uh, writer who is known for winning a bunch of awards for the the movie Argo, which is an awesome movie. Um, he replaces Goyer. That's Chris Terrio. Terrio says. In superhero movies, Batman is Pluto, god of the underworld, and Superman is Apollo, god of the sky. That began to be really interesting to me, that their conflict is not just due to manipulation, but their very existence. And and then, of course, um, the main thing people freaked out about was when Ben Affleck is cast as Batman, drawing a lot of backlash from fans, leading to actual like online petitions. They also, I thought it was a cool idea to cast Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, though. I think that's an interesting spin. People were mad about that because he's not physically imposing, he's too young for the role, but I thought like in today's modern age, having a young tech 
Like, you know, especially coming off of like social network and essentially having a Zuckerberg for a Lex Luthor is, I think, an interesting twi- spin to me for a modern day telling of the story. But I can see why people would be upset. I, I tried to start watching Batman v Superman and I, I was just so not feeling it. It was it was like a long time. It was like months ago, whatever. But I tried Have to throw it on. Have you never watched the whole way through? No, I tried to throw it uh, on and I was just like, I'm not I'm just not feeling this. And I'm no, just, I'm going to force you to sit. Na- We're not going to do a giggle flicks because that movie's like fucking nine hours long <laughs> but um i'll force you to sit down the whole time and get you get to the martha scene <laughs> okay get to the martha scene i'm now i'm curious superman literally hits i'm sorry batman literally hits superman with the kitchen sink <laughs> that's like one of the things that happens in that movie um like eisenberg's casting was really good but then the actual plan of Lex Luthor is such like contrived nonsense that uh-huh. it's infuriating to actually think about. And you saw you saw in the theater. Mm-hmm. Did you see Justice League? I saw Justice League over Thanksgiving with my uh, girlfriend and my uncle and my dad. Uh, it's actually kind of a tradition for the three of us to go see uh, whatever bad genre movie is playing over Thanksgiving. So uh-huh. um, we actually had a blast. Uh, my girlfriend, who absolutely loved the Patty Jenkins uh, Wonder Woman movie, uh, being forced to see how Gal Gadot is shot by Zack Snyder and oh, Joss Whedon God. almost gave her a heart attack. I'm so excited for the new Wonder Woman movie. Too. I'm so excited just for that franchise. I mean, I almost want. I told you that I was gonna like tweet this out. I almost want the the the, the next like Avengers movie to just be about the Avengers saving Wonder Woman from the DC extended universe and like bringing her into the Marvel universe. There have been eighteen. <laughs> I've read so many fan theories about what the next movie is going to be and how like Wonder Woman is going to be pulled through a time vortex so she gets to stay. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Some, some definitely almost some... as if it just matters if the movies are good. <laughs> Almost as if if you just make a coherent movie where A leads to B in a logical fashion, the characters you care about because of their likable traits and believable flaws, people will go see it because it's good. Interesting theory. What do I know? (laughs) Justice League. Was one of, was one of the most expensive films ever made at three hundred million dollars, and grossed the lowest of all of the DC Extended Universe films at six hundred and fifty-seven million dollars, losing the studio sixty million dollars. Um, uh, after the uh, and I didn't I, spoiler alert after the death of Superman and Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, he dies in that film. Mm-hmm. Should I not have said that? No, nah, it's fine. Warner Brothers made a decision to hide Superman from all Justice League marketing materials, including trailers, clips, and posters, which Cavill commented as ridiculous. He says, The whole concept of hiding Superman in the marketing was faintly ridiculous. I honestly believe everyone viewed it as such. Cavill told Empire Magazine, Despite his character being hidden from promotional materials, he still joined the rest of the cast on the entire movie's press tour. <laughs> so everybody knew he was definitely in the movie. I mean, we're not even going to talk about the mustache are we oh my god i forgot about the mustache did you see justice league no it is upsetting Actually, i saw it um uh around the shoulder of a person uh on a flight i was on i watched tiny little bits of it because he was watching it and i don't even think he could finish it so i only saw the very beginning because uh it's actually by the time this episode comes out there's that new mission impossible movie where henry cavill plays a cool spy with a mustache uh you'll remember in the trailer he has to uh reload his arms uh before fighting tom cruise um (laughs) 
Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, for reshoots, because the movie was testing poorly and they brought in Joss Whedon and Zack Snyder uh, had a actual horrible family tragedy where uh, his son died. Uh, they brought in Joss Whedon to kind of save the movie. And uh, due to a contract dispute, Cavill could not shave the mustache. And like the competing movie studio wasn't going to grant a reprieve to help their competitors. <laughs> so they were just stuck. And rather than just like right around it. All right. I'm going to say dick move by the other movie studio, by the way. That sucks. That they spent super sucks. tens of millions of dollars in extra CGI <laughs> for this gross, gummy, mushy mouth creature. And it's the first thing you see in the movie. It's oh, like God. startling. So it really just does not work. It's the first thing you see in the movie is weird, Haribo mouth, Henry Cavill, Superman. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, that's bad. In December 2017, it was reported that there were no immediate plans for Zack Snyder to direct a Justice League sequel or any other DC films, with Snyder instead being relegated to an executive producer position. This comes after a reshuffling of film production staff at Warner Brothers due to the film's poor financial performance. Well, we do know is in August of 2016, the rap reported that the studio had announced that the sequel was in a development as a top priority for the studio and getting the character right for audiences was of tantamount importance while promoting Arrival, Amy Adams, who plays Lois Lane in the newer movies. Um, By the way, she can do no wrong. I, I think she is phenomenal. It's a shame the movies have nothing for her to do. <laughs> exactly. She confirmed work has begun on the screenplay uh, for the for another Superman movie. Shortly after the release of Justice League, Cavill, Henry Cavill, Henry, right? Henry Cavill mm-hmm. revealed he is under contract to play Superman for one more film. We'll see if it happens. I have no idea how to fix the DC Extended Universe other than to wipe it clean and just say we're just going to tell independent stories that are very interesting and not worry about. What they should do, what they honestly should do is scrap up the live action universe, hand over the reins to Bruce Tim or another animator, and just make CG animated movies. Okay. All these superhero movies are... 80%, 99% CG anyway. Interesting. Uh, Superman works better when you can have him do things at a grand scale, which in a live action movie gets incredibly costly, but in an animated movie, you just animate them doing things. And while this whole time while we've been lamenting Superman's rocky relationship with uh, Hollywood, uh, the DC has been producing animated movies uh, directed DVD that have been great. I'm thinking of movies like Superman versus the Elite, Batman Superman Apocalypse. Batman, Superman, Public Enemies, a bunch of Justice League ones, Justice League Doom, Justice League War. Uh, A bunch of these movies are fantastic and infinitely watchable. And for $100 million, you can animate one of the the greatest Superman story ever told rather than just burn through $300 million trying to get fucking gummy face fixed. Um, uh, I think that's an interesting theory. I think that they should, you know, you look at like the X-Men movies, stuff like that, um, that, that... they were working on, like, this team even was working on, and you look at, or, or like, Brian Singer, wait, wait, who, yeah, Brian Singer, right? Who dropped the ball, and all, like, once once they once they rescued the X-Men franchise with First Class, yeah. he immediately went back on, having fallen on his ass doing his own original movies, and fucking put those, that fran- also put that franchise into the ground. What, uh, what I will say, though, is the best X-Men movies are just those where they take the classic stories that that are known f- from X-Men, like um, Days of Future Past and, um, you know, like God Kills, uh, or, wait, wait, what is it again? 
Oh, Jesus, I'm crumbling. Man kills, apart. God something. Man kills, God forgives. Sounds right. Something like that. What? I, well, all I'm saying, take the interest, like, like whatever happened to the man tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, for the man who has everything. Take these great, classic, interesting stories and fucking just, just make one-offs and don't worry about the universe because it's incredibly hard to do and Marvel hit pay dirt with it and they figured it out, but I don't think it's something that just happens for any studio. They have a special situation. Even Star Wars fucked it up and yeah. it's Star Wars. And it's Star Wars. Like just, just focus on fascinating one-off stories from the franchise that you haven't you have all this material in front of you you know do, fine do, do the doomsday thing do death of super do anything just do anything don't reboot it don't do an don't do a origin story please for the love of god and just fucking let grant morrison fucking write the screenplay please just let him do it just let him do it hey did you see that new superman movie where he just does dmt for 40 minutes <laughs> um okay uh, I think that's it. I think we covered Superman. We hope you enjoyed our series on Superman. We're going to move to something. Oh, I forgot that dumb Michael Straczynski storyline in the 2000s where he just decides to walk across America and deliver stern political advice to everybody. I can't. I can't. I'm done with Superman. It's okay. over. I'll never talk about Superman again for the rest of my life. No, actually, I really want to read that Morrison arc. I really want to go back and read some some more Silver Age stories. There's a lot of really cool stuff here. Um, if you can go find it and pick it out and, and just just maybe stay away from the more like, oh, let's try to get everybody to read it again kind of gimmicks. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Uh, but that's a lot of comic book history. There's always the gimmicks, and then there's the real heartfelt stories by people who care about the character in the franchise, you know? Okay. Uh, I think that's it. You can check me out, Holdenator Show on Twitch. More importantly, if you want to patronize us, check us out on Patreon if you want to support us f- further. It's five bucks a month for weekly uh, bonus episodes. We're about to record one now on something. I don't even know what it's going to be yet, but it's going to be amazing. Jake? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at BestJakeYoung, and I contribute to uh, Dorkley's website, um, their YouTube channel, and, of course, you can see me uh, be a chuckle fuck. Uh, on the Drawfee channel on YouTube as well. There you go. All right, everybody, take care. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.